Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Uh, on the back of the prayer sheet is, uh, is uh, the, the paragraphs that I want to study tonight in the confession and uh, some of the verses that are connected this, with this because uh, in our study we have been looking at creeds and confessions. Uh, just uh, to, that summarize what Scripture says about certain important topics, and we've been looking at the Second Baptist, uh, Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. It's an example of a summary of what the Bible teaches about very important truths, and these truths ought to uh, change our lives. And, and now, the Baptist confe- this Baptist Confession we're looking at, it's it's separated into 32 different chapters, and each chapter has several paragraphs within within each of it, and it gives us brief glimpses of matters of faith and life that are just very important to us because if we don't have the right faith and we don't have the right theology and we don't have the right understanding um, uh, of some very important things, then we're not going live to live it out correctly. And so it's important to have truth for life, to have the truth so we know how uh, to live. Now, in the Second Baptist, con- the London Confession, whatever, 1689, that's a lot easier to say than the whole, whole title. The first chapter is all about Holy Scriptures. It is about uh, the Bible, and I had studied um, previously uh, paragraph one, and paragraph one summarized the fact that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. It is the only sufficient rule and standard for our faith and for our practice and for our our living. Now, when we say that the Bible is sufficient, that doesn't mean that it tells us every single truth that there is to know in the world. Like the Bible doesn't tell us the physics of flight, doesn't give us mathematical equations. But what we are saying is that everything that is contained within the scripture is truth as it is written within its historical, cultural, and literary context. And and so that it is sufficient for what we need to know uh, to live and to practice our faith, and it is God's revelation of himself. It is without error, and, and you know, we, we, we are able to learn about him and able to learn what is expected of us and able to learn the gospel, how it is that we are saved. Well, as we continue the study, uh, paragraphs two and three that really go together and it, it delineates for us what is Scripture. What does the Scriptures contain? And so in reading these next two paragraphs, it says that the Holy Scriptures, or the Word of God written, consist of all the books of the Old and New Testaments, and these are, these are them. In the Old Testament, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And then there's the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First through Third John, Jude, and Revelation. All of these are given by the inspiration of God to be the standard of faith and life. Those sixty-six books, and then 
for a further explanation in verse 3. There's some books that don't belong. The books commonly called the Apocrypha were not given by divine inspiration and so are not part of the canon or standard of scriptures. Therefore, they have no authority for the church of God and are not to be recognized or used in any way different from other human writings. And so what these paragraphs are addressing is the important topic of the canon of Scripture. Now, when I talk about the canon of Scripture, I am not talking about a big gun that makes a really loud boom. That's not the canon that we're, we're talking about. The word canon within this context talks about something that meets a standard. Now, the word itself originally talked about this reed that was used to make sure that things were lined up correctly, that they everything that things were aligned, and then the word you know came to mean a standard or a rule of measurement. So for our purposes, when it comes to scripture and for the books, canon are the books that meet the standard for being included in the Word of God. It they are the books that are recognized as being inspired based on certain rules and standards, that they are inspired. And any books that do not meet the measurement, do not meet the standard, do not meet the rule, they are excluded. They cannot be part. They weren't, they were, we, they, they weren't inspired. Only books that meet the measurement, meet the standard, are inspired or are recognized as inspired. Only those are part of God's revelation. Only they are recognized as God's revelation. They are canon. Maybe to, to give you an example from like a different set of literature or you know an area of literature outside of, of scripture. Of course, me being the nerd that I am, I'm gonna have to use Star Wars as, as an example. But you know, throughout the Star Wars, you know, movies, I mean, Star Wars has been around almost 50 years now, but um, after the movies came out, hundreds upon hundreds of books were, were written that kind of expanded the story, expanded the saga. And really, beginning in the early 1990s, uh, there were lots of books written that, about what took place for our heroes um, after Return of the Jedi, you know, in the original uh, trilogy era. And um, the fans loved the books, especially when, when Timothy Zahn wrote his Heir, Heir to the Empire trilogy. I mean, the, 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 the fandom ate them up. And then there were just books galore that were written after that. They were considered the canon. They were considered the story. They were part of the group. They met the, the rule. They met the standard to continue the, the story. But then, in 2012, Disney bought Lucasfilm and bought, you know, everything that, that was with Star Wars. Disney did not want to have their hands tied to all those books that were written. So what Disney did is they announced that all those books that the fans had loved for decades now, they were no longer canon. They, were no, they no longer met the standard. They no longer were part of the story, and they were relegated to legend status. And they said only the books that are published by Disney from now on are considered canon. 
They are, they are part of the story. They continue the story. They meet the rules. They meet the standards. They continue the saga of Star Wars. Frankly, after seeing the sequel trilogy, I'd rather just go back to the books. They were a whole lot better. But now, according to Disney, they are not canon. They are no longer within the, the realm. Now, to bring it back to our subject for tonight, there were hundreds of books written purporting to talk about God and his people and, and things like that. There were books written in Old Testament times. There were books written in New Testament times. They claimed to be revelations of God. They claimed to be you know, something for, for the, the people. But not all of them were accepted as such. And, and so at stake is the subject of canon. And at stake is the important concept of inspiration of Scripture. Because only those books that were demonstrated to have been inspired by God were included within the canon. Inspiration. But what is inspiration? Well, E.J. Young gives this definition of inspiration. He says, according to the Bible, inspiration is a superintendence of God, a working of God, the Holy Spirit, over the writers of the scriptures, as a result of which those scriptures possess divine authority and trustworthiness, and possessing such divine authority and trustworthiness, they are free from error. Only the books that demonstrated to have been inspired by God are included in the canon and recognized as authoritative, truthful, and sufficient. The Holy Spirit inspired certain writers to write certain things. They were included in canon. Those writings were included in canon. Now, the Jews, before the time of Christ, they already had the Old Testament canon founded in the 39 books that we recognize as being part of the, the Old Testament. They uh, listed them in a little bit different order, and, and uh, their Hebrew titles are a little bit different than what we get them, but it's the 39 books that, that, that we recognize, and they're, they're listed here in the Confession in paragraph 2 under the Old, Old Testament, Genesis, and, and so on. Then, in the first centuries of the Christian church, the church recognized 27 books as having been inspired. The 27 books that we find in our New Testament. Mark, Luke, John, so on and so forth, all the way through Revelation. Again, that list is in paragraph 2 of the Confession. So only 66 books were recognized as canon, as authoritative, having met the measure of demonstrating inspiration and and you know it, it's it, it's really an the the bible is just an amazing book it's, it's not really a book it's a collection of books and it's an inspired library that's what bb warfield called it it's an inspired library for us from god uh, B. warfield said this he said no less than 66 separate books one of which consists itself of 150 separate compositions, you know, talking about Psalms, immediately stare us in the face. These treaties come from the hands of at least 30 distinct writers scattered over a period of some 1,500 years 
and embraced specimens of nearly every kind of writing known, known among men, histories, codes of law, ethical maxims, philosophical treaties, discourses, dramas, songs, hymns, epics, biographies, letters, both of official and personal kind, every kind of composition known beneath heaven is gathered here in one volume. That is a work of God, to have 66 books, 30 to 40 authors, 1,500 years, but one story of redemption is told, all inspired by God the Holy Spirit. Now, there are several verses that talk about this concept of inspiration. We'll just highlight a few. The most famous ones, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where it says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. That is the literal thing. Some of the translations will say, you know, all Scripture is inspired by God, but it literally means God breathed. God breathed them out through those scriptures. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then Peter, in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 through 21, says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What a picture, being carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know, these writers, it's like they were just in a boat. They were on the, the river of inspiration, and the Holy Spirit just carried them along to write what he wanted them to write. And that is why we can say that the Bible is inerrant, infallible, and inspired. It is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. Okay, that's all well and good. We, we understand that, that only inspired books were included within the canon. But I've talked about rules and standards. What were the rules and standards? Well, I mean, I have to summarize them very quick for tonight. For the Old Testament, the author had to have been recognized as a prophet of God in some capacity. And we, we see within the various genres and within the various books uh, of the Old Testament that, you know, it says, well, God told him to write this down. God told him to, to write this down. And now, Moses, he was a very special prophet. He, he had a special relationship with God. And, and so God communicated him with him in a special way. But at the same time, you know, it, it, want to look at something here in Numbers uh, chapter 12. You know, it, it says how God communicated with the prophets, but then how God, you know, specially communicated uh, with Moses. Um, it says there in verses 6 through 8, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. We might say face to face. I speak clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? You don't mess with Moses. He is definitely a special prophet of God. But that gift of prophecy continued after Moses and through whom the Holy Spirit worked to inspire Scripture. We see this in Joshua. He's the next book. He's the next prophet that comes along. In Joshua 24, 20, chapter 24, verses 25 through 26, it says, 
So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And then he took a large stone, set it up under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Well, then Samuel comes next. Samuel wrote down God's word. In 1 Samuel 10, 25, it says, Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Now, the historians, or the historical books, were probably written by prophets, possibly Ezra, possibly Jeremiah, you know, depending... Uh, you know, they chronicled what God wanted remembered about the kings and about the history of Israel. In Second Chronicles 20, 35, you know, now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat from first to last are written in the chronicles of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which are recorded in the books of the kings of Israel. It's all recorded. Then there's the prophets, the, people, the ones that we call prophets. They were told to write things down for the Lord. The Lord told them to write things down. Isaiah 8.1, you know, Isaiah says, The Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write it in common characters, belonging to Mahar Shalel Hashbaz. You know, they'd write these things down, write it down, write it down. And so that's the rules, you could say, of canon for the Old Testament. The rule for the development of the New Testament canon was that the book was written by an apostle or someone who is close, closely connected to an apostle. So you think of like the Gospel of Mark. Mark was not an apostle, but he was a companion of Peter, and more than likely the Gospel of Mark is the Gospel of Peter because he probably got all his information from Peter. You think of Luke. Luke was not an apostle, but he was the friend and companion of the apostle Paul. And so the apostles were inspired to have written these things. You know, Jesus told them that this, this would happen. He said it in John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then later in John 16, verses 13 and 14, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit will come and bring these things to your remembrance. He will declare to you the things that I want declared and, 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 and to write. So the, the apostles were the standard for the New Testament. So only the 66 books that you know, are listed in, in that paragraph that we have in our normal Protestant Bibles, those are the only books of canon. But now, there are lots and lots of writings that you know, they purport to come from prophets and they, they say that they come from apostles, but they're not. So remembering that this confession was written in the 1600s, not long after the Reformation, and so there was still the whole Catholic versus you know, Protestant thing going on. And it, you know, the, the paragraph three within this chapter, it 
speaks specifically about the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is not canon. What in the world is an Apocrypha? Well, if you've ever looked at a Catholic book, or a Catholic Bible, and, well, some versions of the King James Bible, you know, those were the years where England kept waffling back and forth between Catholicism and Protestantism. There's, you, you look, and all of a sudden, there's all these extra books at the end of your Old Testament. It's like you hit Malachi. Where in the world did this Tobit guy come from? What in the world is this First and Second Maccabees? Where did that come from? That, those are the books of the Apocrypha. These books were written during, well, during what I call the, the time of silence, which means that the time when there were no canonical books written Mal, between Malachi and Matthew, right? 400 and, about 400 years of silence from God, no inspiration for writing. But these books were written during that period, and, and so they were kind of, I mean, they were the literature of the day, and they do, they do have some historical value, and they do give us a little bit of an idea of what kind of the thought process of what was going on during that, that time period, but they're, they're not canon. They weren't written by prophets. And the Hebrews, they, the Jews, they never recognized these books as being part of the canon. They never... You know, they didn't come around during the first century and say, oh, you know what, there's all those books that were added, you know, that were written, let's, let's tack them on. No, they were never, never added. Now, how they kind of got to where they were is, um, so I don't know if you know what the Septuagint is. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It was written around 250 B.C., give or take, uh, in Alexandria, Egypt. The leader of Egypt at the time wanted, wanted everything written, you know, as, as much as he could get written in, in Greek. And so they translated uh, the, Septuagint, the Hebrew, what we call the Old Testament, they translated into Greek. Well, some, some folks at some point added these books, this Apocrypha, as kind of an appendix to the Septuagint. Well, then Jerome wrote the Latin Vulgate, which is just the Latin translation of the Bible. And he included those books, even though they weren't part of the Hebrew canon, he included those books, but even he recognized they weren't canon. They weren't part of the, the they didn't meet the standard, they didn't meet the rules. But, you know, they, they were there. I mean, they were around. So I, I guess, I really don't know why, but the Catholic Church said, well, it's there. It's there in Latin. I guess if it's there in Latin, it's supposed to be in the Bible. So they added it to their Bibles. But it's not supposed to be there. And so that's why, that's why you know, the, the uh, uh, confession here specifically says, the Apocrypha is not part of the canon. The Apocrypha was not inspired by God. You know, the Apocrypha would be kind of like, I don't know, John MacArthur writing, writing a book. We wouldn't say, hey, John MacArthur wrote a book. Let's add that to Scripture. 
you know, as much as you might like John MacArthur or not or whatever, or pick your, you know, your favorite celebrity pastor who writes books and, and say, oh, you know, well, let's add that to Scripture. Well, no. I mean, you wouldn't do that to that? Well, you don't do that to the uh, Apocrypha. And even the, the early Christian leaders recognized that, yeah, that, that's not part of the, the list. You know, there was... Um, a bishop from Sardis named Melita. And he wrote down, in, in A.D. 170, he wrote down, hey, these are the books of Old Testament canon, the, old, the covenant of the Old Testament. You know, he, he wrote down, when I came to the East and reached to the place where these things were preached and done and learned accurately the books of the Old Testament, I set down the facts and sent them to you. And here's their names. And he lists the books of, that we have in our Old Testament, not the Apocrypha, not included. They, so they, they weren't part of it. None of the Apocryphal books were. But, you know, there, there's, there's other books that were written in the same time period, or that you might hear the term pseudepigrapha. Pseudepigrapha were books that were supposedly written by, um, like, biblical heroes, but they couldn't have been because like, they were written thousands of years after the people died. So you may have heard of hear the book called Enoch, or One Enoch, or First Enoch, or, or something like that. First Enoch is actually quoted in the New Testament, in Jude and possibly in Peter. And um, so it was, it was literature of the time, but it wasn't written by Enoch. It was written thousands of years after Enoch was taken up by the Lord. So it's not part of canon, it's not inspired, but it gives us insight into the history and the culture of, of the day. There, there's books in the first few centuries of A.D., you know, first few centuries of the church, books that were written, kind of New Testament pseudepigrapha, but they're not canon. You may have heard of the Gospel of Thomas, you may have heard of the gospel of judah judas you may have heard of the apocalypse of james or you know some of those books well they weren't written by james or thomas or, or anything like that so they are not canon they were not written by that so it, it's this is important because one i mean the apocrypha and the other books they contain historical inaccuracies so of course they're not going to be in scripture because What's part of being in Scripture? You're inspired, but you're also inerrant. You're infallible. You don't, you don't have mis historical mistakes in, your in those books. God wouldn't inspire a book that has a historical inaccuracy in it. So you know it's not, not from, from God. This is important to know what is considered Scripture and what is not, because only Scripture is authoritative. Only Scripture gives us what we need to know for the practice of our faith and, 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 and how to live. The other books, they might give insight, but they are not authoritative. I am not going to read the book of Tobit and conform my life to it because it is not part of Scripture. I'm not going to read the book of One Enoch and conform my life to it because it's not part of Scripture. But the 66 books that are canon, 
that are inspired. You better believe, I better conform my life to those. These books give us the plan of redemption. These books are the books that lead us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to pray that our lives would be conformed to these truths. If there's any who have not believed in the gospel, the truth, this plan of redemption that is, starts in Genesis, goes all the way through Revelation, I mean, you need to give yourself to Christ, the one who died for us. But we need to remember, it's only these books that lead us to the fountain of life. It's only these books that, lead, that sustain us spiritually. God, this is a gift. This is, this is a divine gift from God right here. You all realize that? Everyone loves gifts. And even when it's not your birthday or Christmas or whatever, you know, whatever holiday, you, you love gifts. God has given us a gift. He's given us the gift of Christ. He has given us the gift of salvation. And he has given us the gift of this library of inspired books so we can know him. And we can know his way of salvation and we can know what he expects of us. And we can know how, how to conform ourselves so that we have joy and peace and hope even in the midst of trouble and hardships. Why wouldn't we dive just in deep into this pool of divine knowledge and revelation so that our lives can be changed? Let's pray tonight that we, we would just thirst for the Word of God. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.